Hey there, we're the Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, we were uh, planning on taking uh, one week break from our summer previews just to kind of catch up on some of the news and notes around college football, around the, the cats. Um, and then this morning, as we record this on uh, Wednesday, August 5th, uh, this morning we get a really lovely little nugget that is the new Big Ten schedule. Um, you know, the Big Ten finally came out and said what their plan is. Um, you know, they've got some medical uh, regulations or medical processes that they're going to be attempting to uh, maintain. Um, and then they dropped the 10-game schedule. Uh, everyone kept their division foes. I mean, the orders switched up and um, then picked up one additional one. So uh, our additional game that we picked up is Michigan at the end of the year. And I know we talked about this uh, in in our Michigan preview um, as as a potential uh, of of a pickup. But, uh, well, let's go through our schedule um, as it stands right now because, still, we're a month away everything could still change. I mean, this there's still so much that's uh, up in the air. I mean, Northwestern right now is in uh, quarantine. Or they, they halted practices due to one positive test, uh, and then 14 others are quarantining from contact tracing. I was uh, going whereas... to say, Sammy, it's like the old uh, wedding retirement line. It's like, I hope there aren't any more changes because there's only really one more change that can happen at this point. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um so, yeah, still a lot left to be determined, but um, I think the picture became a little bit more clear. All of the all the Power Five conferences have come out with models. I don't know if we have an SEC schedule per se just yet, but uh, they're planning on starting the last week in September. Um, ACC is doing uh, 10 plus one, I think, with the intention of trying to have their uh, SEC, ACC crossovers. That's not happening when the uh, SEC said, no, we're only, only conference games. So the ACC might be dropping that uh, 11th game. They might not. Who knows? Um, that We haven't seen that one yet. But uh, just at a glance, Big Ten schedule, um, we got two bye weeks throughout the season and then a bye week at, at the end of the season. Again, if games need to be shifted around or uh, re- rejiggered somehow due to reasons um there is room to do it right and i think the the other part of it is you know there was all the talk of were they going to move division games to the front were they going to move division games to the back what we ultimately see with this schedule is division games are not a factor in this schedule i mean we play two of our first five games are divisional nebraska has four divisional games in a row you know i mean it's that wasn't the calculus i think a big part of the calculus was lining up. They kind of have these pods, right? Of where basically there's a clear goal to get the first three games of the season for every team under the belt. And beyond that point, their goal is to have this flex option where in our case, for example, Maryland and Iowa each share the same first buy that we do. So the idea is if something comes up where our Maryland game has to get moved or our Iowa game has to get moved, it can get moved into that space. Same thing with I, Actually, John, let me let me stop you there. That's not true because Iowa oh. is playing on week six on our bye week. Oh, that's right. So I'm trying to – maybe it's the first two games. I know that they talked about that it was set up this week, this this way, but I don't know if it's if I have the teams wrong or if they have the weeks wrong. Um I know I think that it's set up to work that way, at least for the, the second buy, maybe. Um, and, uh, you know, I was I was reading about this earlier. And honestly, you can see as, as we're going that we're all kind of working to unpack this. Um, but I think the idea is right that there are a couple teams that share the same common buy. And that that's what the point of having the double buy is, is to give flexibility to move games into that space. And you're right. I thought Iowa was one of those games, um, but it's not. I guess we have to look 
is it at Michigan State possibly one of those games? Um, it's it's all the so our first buy lines up with the whole with most of the East, and then our second buy lines up with most of the West, um, and that's not always true. There's four four teams that have the same Week Five buy, and three of those also share their Week Twelve or Week Eleven buy. So I don't I don't it it does not appear to be as um, structured um, as as all that because because then when you look in the east there are five teams in the east that have the same week six buy and then they all have a buy on week eleven so I I think this is probably more about like what dates that could move what they could right. do to take the original schedule because if you look at like our Minnesota game and I think our Purdue game are effectively in the same spots that they were originally. Um, obviously, you know, with Wisconsin being on supposing supposed to be that first week in November at Wrigley field, they bumped that up into one of our non-con weeks. Um, they've moved Penn state up maybe to accommodate, you know, like an Illinois slotting back into October so they could add Michigan at the end. I like, I think it was probably more about opening up that week 13 and what that, like the, the histrionics that that required, um, I'm sure they have some contingency plans built in here that like, like it's just hard to ferret out looking at the grid, but um, yeah, I, I think they said that they could move the big 10 championship game back at least two weeks. Like there, there's room to move that back if they need to extend the end of the season yeah. to make up games. But but I think the big point is the one you already made, John, that the, the schedule is front loaded and that's on purpose. They're trying to get in as much as they can early. Um, You know, they don't have the problem that the PAC 12 does where, let me not say problem. They don't, they're not having to navigate um, the really strict lockdowns in Los Angeles County that the PAC 12 has to think about when they think about like USC and UCLA, et cetera. Um, I think, you know, none of the big 10 States are kind of in that state of uh, lockdown at this stage. So, you know, I, they're, they're obviously trying to get stuff done as, as close to what, you know, the landscape on the ground is today you know, in, in that, in the sense that it's known, right. The, the future being very unknown with regard to a, you know, another spike in cases as, as things get colder, who knows what's going to happen as, as players get on campus, who knows, who knows what's going to happen as these teams play each other, right. We've seen baseball and the difficulty baseball has had containing, um, outbreaks. Now that seems to be more related to player behavior outside of the stadium than anything during a game at this stage but football obviously being a much more intense physical personal space type sport um i think to me this is all this is all contingency like get as much done as we can up front and then as dominoes start to fall and they will fall we we've built in enough flexibility to move things around I personally think it's extremely unlikely that we get a full 10 game season, but, but we'll see. And like, here's hoping, I guess the point is, and we've made this a number of times over the last few weeks as we, as we've been doing our podcasts and previews, et cetera, like none of us are in denial about like the fragility of this setup right now. We all would like to see football for personal reasons. We're diving in and talking about this, but we just, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And I think, the idea that this schedule is going to play out as written is crazy. We're still going to talk about it like it's going to, because that's like what we have to work with right now, right? Exactly. Uh, so let's run through the Northwestern schedule real quick. And, you know, a lot of these teams we previewed already. You know, there's still a few teams that we haven't gotten to. Um, those will be coming up in the next uh, week or two. Um, so we start off the season uh, September 5th at Penn State. Um, we, we talked about Penn State yeah, their their defense is insane. Except, is it though? This is, I mean, I this is such a crazy confluence of events that led me to to make a couple, at least were to me, amusing Twitter updates and kind of rivals board updates in the span of like really twelve hours because there was this massive one-two punch where first of all. Micah Parsons, and he hasn't made an official announcement, so we should put that caveat because by the time this airs, if if he's come out and said, no, 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 I changed my mind, then, you know, let's hedge our bets. But as of right now, all the reports are that Micah Parsons uh, plans to opt out for this season. And if you listen to the Penn State pod, 
where half of it, well, not half, but close to half of it was me talking about the defense, and 75% of that was me talking about Micah Parsons. You have a pretty good idea of where he stands, not just in the Big Ten pecking order, but the national pecking order in terms of defensive players. He may be the best defensive player in the country. It's a massive game-changing departure for Penn State. It affects their entire defense. Um, There is really no single defensive player whose loss affects a team more than losing Micah Parsons affects Penn State. And we get them at home in week one without Micah Parsons, potentially. And again, this may change, but I mean, that is a massive shift. And suddenly, you know, I mean, we we were going to be playing Penn State early in the conference schedule. Now we play them first. And that is going to be such a weird situation. No Micah Parsons, um, but still a credibly highly regarded Penn State team playing at Northwestern. No, 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 it's at, at, no, at no, no, it's, it's in Happy Valley. Oh, it's in Happy Valley. I am that I'm reading that now. I'm realizing that I've right. I'm reversing these. The right. So it's in Happy Valley, but it's going to be a you know this weird atmosphere where again it's it's hard to say. I mean because normally right we'd be thinking oh my gosh we haven't gone to Happy Valley in forever. Um, the crowd is going to be just so insane. But you know this year who knows what the crowd's even going to be. It's, so it's going to, it's going to be so bizarre. Playing a game in front of a hundred thousand empty seats, <laughs> right? Right. Like that is a cavernous. That is a cavernous stadium. Well, he, he, and sorry, finish that thought. Yeah, it's gonna, no, it, that is a cavernous stadium, and for it to be empty is just going to be bizarre. Well, also adding to the bizarreness of this game, you're going to have two offenses that are breaking in brand new offensive coordinators in, you know, Bajakian for Northwestern, Chiaroka coming from Minnesota for Penn State. Neither of these OCs will have had much time to work with their uh, their squads. You know, Northwestern's going to be going to be bringing in a, a new QB in Peyton Ramsey. Uh, Penn State will will be. I don't know. I, I mean, reloading was not what I what I made out their offense to be, but it's pretty solid across the board. I mean, they've, they 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 have some questions at the at the wide receiver, but their QB, their running backs, their O line, like but these teams are not going to have had really any time to gel with one another. So um, it's going to be a real interesting display at the, at the, I just, right. It's like when I talked about their defense, it was like there, it's so bizarre because the defense, like they had to make such a big, they made such a big shift in styles just to accommodate Parsons and how good he was. So you look and you're like, well, two years ago, this was an unbelievable pass rush team, and some of those elements are still there. But to your point, guys, like, this is one play, like, again, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but on the defensive side of the ball, no one player affects a team as much as Michael Parsons affects Penn State in the 2020 season. And it's a massive shift that, to Scuzz's point, like, to accommodate that with limited practices, etc. Um, I don't know how they're going to do As an aside to... This for Parsons and, you know, we were joking about this before the pod relative to like Trevor Lawrence and, you know, like guys like that, where it's like Parsons is almost guaranteed to be a top five pick in the next NFL draft. And he has given two years of service, good years of service to Penn State, but they weren't his junior and senior year. They were his true freshman and true sophomore year. And as the math of as it currently exists would have it. He has to play one more year of college football before Do, he gets. Does leave. he though? I, I no. don't know if that. I don't know if that's true because the NFL rules say three years after high school. No, yeah. but he right. But that's that's what I mean. Oh no, you're you're absolutely right. But I'm saying, in a non-COVID year, it, were he to sit out this season, which would make perfect financial sense, he'd draw a lot of wrath. But this year. It's a tailor-made, and not, and I say tailor-made. I don't want to make it seem like it's not legitimate. Michael Parsons may not be thinking about the NFL draft at all. He may be thinking, like, I don't want to get sick. Um, but either way, there's a perfect reason that he can sit out and do what makes the most financial sense to him, for him to do anyway, which is sit out this season, which will not affect his draft stock in the least, and then be a top-five pick in the next NFL draft. So, I mean, it makes... 
all perfect sense for him to just sit this year. Uh, it's uh, you know I doubt the Penn State fan base sees it the same way, but uh, you know it's the right move for him, and it's certainly the right move for us. So good on you, Micah Parsons. Well, just just to talk about Penn State a little bit further outside of the Northwestern context, I mean we were talking about them as you know not on the same level as Ohio State, but you know arguably the second best team in this conference. And maybe if they got lucky, if things went their way, they could they could vie for a conference championship. This knocks them like a whole nother tier down. And it, I mean, at this stage, I think we've got four kind of major Big Ten players who have announced or are expected to announce opting out. And all of the things being equal, um, there's now an even larger gap between Ohio State and and the next best challenger. So week two, um, we come home to play uh, Wisconsin. We haven't talked about the Badgers yet. Um, that'll be one of our next previews. But uh, a game that was supposed to be played at Wrigley Field, obviously not going to be. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Wisconsin, don't want to step on our, our Wisconsin preview too much, but that's probably the cream of the West. And that's a, it's a crazy situation too. Again, like I said, we're not going to get into the X and X's and O's of the Badgers right now, but the students won't be back by that point. And if was, you know, if Northwestern's sticking to the schedule and even if they are remote, a lot of schools are looking at kind of hybrid remote, hybrid in person, like you're kind of hearing a lot about that. But either way, even under a normal schedule, the students classes don't start until the 16th. So this this is that game that Northwestern has in standard seasons where the students aren't back yet, except instead of, you know, some FCS team, it's the Badgers at home. And talk about your, you know, we talked about Happy Valley. I mean, talk about a weird environment. You're talking a potential game where it's Northwestern. If, if anyone's in the stadium, it's Northwestern season ticket holders, not Northwestern students most likely. And you can figure there's a big percentage of Northwestern season ticket holders who, for whatever reason, are not going to go to that game. And Wisconsin fans are not going to be allowed to come to the game. So talk about your your weird environments. I mean, we have we don't get we haven't gotten any official word from the athletic department on what their plan is going to be, et cetera. One of my first instincts was like, can I bring in a flag or something? If I'm there, can I can I at least lay a, like a, a red pirate flag and a big Northwestern flag on the seats in front of me? So at least we're kind of representing in that cavernous empty space a little bit. But, you know, we'll see. But yeah, crazy game for the second week of the season. Uh, week three, September 19th, uh, we head to Michigan State. Um, you know, we talked about the Spartans. Um, we were hoping to see them first week overall. Uh, they're going to have a couple weeks to at least break in a little bit. But uh I mean, that's a team that's had to pause uh, off-season workouts due to outbreaks, right? Oh, yeah. They they had to shut it all down. Um, Michigan State has essentially told their student body to um, stay home and distance learn if that's if that's possible for them. They've, they've not told students that they're not coming to campus or that they're starting out remote, but they've indicated that they prefer students do that, I think. Um, for the for for the I don't know for the start of the year I don't know what that looks like um so you know this is one from a from a pure football standpoint we were really hopeful to get Michigan State earlier in the year because that team is kind of a mess for a lot of reasons mostly the late term coaching change and the drop off that they've had in recruiting over the past few years and um, we effectively still get them pretty late. They open with Minnesota and then play Maryland, so they're going to get a nice tune-up game the week before they see us. But, um, you know, still still a reasonably good spot to get the Spartans in. Absolutely. I think the it, Vegas is going to have us 0-2 coming into this game. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. But there is, to the extent that there is a softer underbelly of this schedule that does not have any non-con and is still a Big Ten schedule, there's a nice little stretch for us in here, in the middle. And this is the start of that stretch. And yeah, like week one would be better than week three, but this is a Spartans team we absolutely can beat. And we should mention, um, kind of lost in the shadow of Parsons, Jacob Panasuk, who is Michigan State's best defensive lineman, has announced that he is going to be opting out. So that's another blow to the Spartans um, to factor in as well. So this is the beginning of a stretch where I, I kind of I, I kind of like our odds for a, a pretty good stretch of time here. 
Uh, week four, September 26th, we're home against Maryland. So this was originally the Penn State game. Um, right. They've they flipped it around. You know, we, we previewed Maryland. They're a train wreck on defense. Um, I think, you know, their offense has got some interesting weapons and will probably be better, but that's still not very good. And um, I don't think that changes whether we play them in week four or week seven. So... Uh, week five, we're at Iowa on October 3rd. Uh, we, we talked about Iowa um, a couple previews ago. What, where do we think? It, I mean, it's not going to be the bitter cold that we were there um, last time we were in, in Iowa City. It's it's before a bye. Um, and it's it's just funny because, I mean, from, from my perspective, previewing the defenses, there's like a seven, really eight-week stretch that includes two buys where Iowa is so different defensively from most of the other teams here. And I'll throw in Michigan State even into that group because they're not going to have Panasek and they're dealing with a lot. And if you listen to our pod, like the Michigan State defense, this ain't, you know, the greatest Michigan State defense you've ever seen. But Iowa still has a lot of pieces there. But you flank them with that Michigan State and then, you know, Maryland and, and really what comes for the five weeks, including the two buys after that. Um, this Iowa team from a toughness perspective really kind of stands out in this massive stretch of time. And of course we hate the Hawkeyes. They're our, you know, our secondary rival at this point. So So this is a massive game. Well, here's what's really interesting for Iowa. They play three weeks in a row, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern. That's, you know, I, they don't, they don't feel about us quite the same way we feel about them, but. Right. That Minnesota game and that Nebraska game, I mean, those are effectively their rivalry games. Um, and that's – they're going to be putting a lot into those two weeks before before playing us. And that, I think, um, leads in our favor just ever so slightly. That I, You know, I will say one other random thing that just kind of popped into my mind. In a situation where no one gets to watch these games, and we still don't know what the situation, we don't know if it's going to be season ticket holders. If I had to best bet, I'd bet season ticket holders and students, but we don't honestly know. We do know that it that at the Northwestern Iowa game, if if only a small handful of people are able to watch that game, they will be the kids in the Iowa Children's Hospital, and. If there's anyone who deserves to get to watch a football game in live in a situation where none of the rest of us get to watch a football game, it's those kids. So that's kind of nice, it's, anyway. Isn't that true? Uh, that's that's actually yeah. that's actually kind of cool. Like maybe yeah. maybe we should move a lot more games to Iowa. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like they can they can at least watch. I, They're protected. Iowa City bubble. I mean, that sounds horrible, but like it's probably not a bad idea. Maybe the West yeah, should right. just operate in Iowa City. Right. Exactly. Uh, October 10th, uh, we have a bye week, so we can rest up for Illinois on October 17th. Um, We haven't talked about Illinois yet. Uh, Don't want to step on that too much, but um, they had an opt-out. Yeah, they did. Uh, Ravon Bonner, their running back, um, opted out. He was the first notable college football player to announce that. Um, Does is it weird to you guys that we're playing Illinois in the middle of the year? I mean, there's a lot of conversation right about Ohio, Ohio state, Michigan, which is not happening on the last weekend. Um, like it doesn't bother me that we're not playing Illinois on the last weekend, but it is kind of jarring because for 20 years we've played them on the last weekend. Has it been that long? I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's, it may have been longer, but for like as long as I've been a fan, which is roughly 20 years at this stage, didn't they move it earlier? Like Wrigley, Wrigley was earlier. Um, I mean, only slightly. It was right. yeah, still it was, in November. I don't think there were any right. games after that, though. Were there? Were there? I God, I, I feel wrong. like there might have been a year or two where it was a little bit earlier. I don't remember like off the top of my head, but but yeah, no. I mean, it is it is kind of strange. But I mean, I've I've got no problem. I mean, there's. This is we play three consecutive games flanked by a bye, and you could argue that that those two bye weeks have better defenses than what we're going to see in this stretch. So okay. I'm not really complaining about this. Okay, I'm ca- categorically wrong here. Um, in 2011, we played Illinois. Like, the first year I looked up, in 2011, we played Illinois the 1st of October. So 
like shrug emoji. I don't know what I'm talking about here, but um, it's still jarring. Like I, and I guess maybe because it's on my mind and I'm thinking about it. I mean, in in recent seasons, it has definitely like the last several. It has been last in the in the schedule. But I, I yeah, I, I remembered there being a, a few seasons where it was like, oh, it's earlier this year. Okay, cool, whatever. Um, October twenty fourth, week eight, we're home for Nebraska. So Illinois and Nebraska in back to back weeks. Yeah, this Taylor is Taylor Martinez. Taylor Martinez sign will me probably up. be hurt at a- that point. A- a- Adrian, Mar- Adrian a- yeah, Martinez, Adrian. but no, t- Adrian Martinez may have gone full Taylor Martinez by that point. So that's kind of. <laughs> but so, this is this is that soft underbelly I was talking about. Yeah, sign me up for these three weeks of of defenses we get to play: Illinois, then Nebraska, then Purdue. Like, yes, please. Yep. Yeah, Halloween in West Lafayette uh, to take on Purdue. Um, we just talked about uh, the Boilermakers. Obviously, their offense is worrisome, uh, and their defense is not so much. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it's like we we know that's a terrifying team to have to play, but it. I, I mean, it's it's kind of cool the way this is broken up. I mean, again, I mean from from a defensive perspective, again, it's like you go Maryland, Iowa, by Illinois, Nebraska, Purdue, by. That is a massive stretch of time, almost two months, where we play Iowa's defense and no other good defenses. So that's it's kind of nice. I mean, you know, for a team that is coming off a horrific offensive year and looking to kind of get straightened out, that's it's useful. Uh, November 7th is our second bye. Uh, come back on November 14th to head up to Minneapolis uh, to take on the Gophers. So November in Minneapolis. God, why is it always in November? I mean, that it's been that way for several years for a long time yeah and every year i go up there with my dad and um you freeze your ass off freeze my i was ass gonna say off. it's a it's a, you'll be saved from, from yourself this time so yeah probably <laughs> um i i don't own hunting overalls unlike the the vast majority of minnesota gopher fans um who come to games in november they're they all look like they're about to go out you know uh duck hunting afterwards or something but they probably are going yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess this is the point where we mentioned the last time that we played in Minnesota at this time of the year. Mick McCall was shirtless on the field before the game, and you, you had to bring that up. Hey, you had to put that image in our minds. I mean, look, the rest of the team was out there too, and they came out and yeah. they and they punched Minnesota in the mouth and beat them, um, pretty. Conv- like it was like it was a pretty dominant performance from Northwestern, and relative to the year prior two years prior when we looked shell-shocked by the cold and couldn't do anything like there was there was something to that moment um i'll give i'll give mick you know a little bit of his due on that on that front and then uh november 21st um the aforementioned added game as we take on uh, michigan um i have to admit when i saw michigan playing at northwestern in late november i quickly looked up to see if it was a full moon that night um, it's not the full moon is uh, November thirtieth, so that that's all well and good. But yeah, does this ring moon game to anyone else? Hey, I mean, I that that was ugly, horrific football, but we almost won in the most in the worst fashion possible. Oh. And then we've and then we have won late in the year uh, at home against Michigan in the best fashion possible. So, um, I mean, heck. For, for losing a Wrigley Field game, adding Michigan at home at the end of the year. And, you know, if you listen to the Michigan pod, we, we talked about this. I mean, of the teams that we stood to potentially get as a pickup game, I think if you made me pick one, I would have picked Michigan because we have a real chance of beating this team. With, and with, it, with Rutgers off the table, let's, R- let's be clear. Well, well Rutgers is, is a win. Um, but Michigan, I'm like, we have a chance to beat this team. I'd rather get them earlier in the year for sure, but we have a real chance to beat this team and it would continue what has been overall a pretty darn good stretch against Michigan over the last 20 years or so. Um, this is a real rivalry that has real teeth to it that Northwestern has, you know, I would say given as good as we've gotten and we're going to have a real chance to go after them in this game. I'm just, I'm psyched. It's a great game to get added to the schedule. I, I can't quite agree with your with your synopsis there. I mean, given that we never once beat Brady Hoke, and have not beaten Jim Harbaugh either. Um, hey, 
I there are only three Michigan games in my mind, my friend. There are only three that that's, matter to me. That's fine. Um, unfortunately, like those are a long time, like getting farther and farther. Hey, I go. Um, hey, I, I'm give me the number four right here. Give it, give hey, it to me. I'm all about it, and I'll tell you what the the quarterback play for Michigan. There, the potential for it to be as bad as it was in that Moon game is there. Um, I guess I'll say this. I'm I'm just I'm glad it's not Ohio State. That got added to the schedule. Um, I'll be honest. I also think the likelihood of this game happening is slim to none. Um, I think most. So it's interesting. I'm just I'm glancing at this. All Ooh. the games in the last week of the year in this week twelve are cross division games. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I just noticed. So it's it's about to point that out. It's clearly built as a. If we need to scrub this entire week, we can 100% scrub this entire week and basically have zero impact to the structure of our of our season or, and how we pick champions, etc. Right, or they're already thinking, look, we've tried to create a situation where we've created as much flex as possible to preserve division games. You have a buy that most that just that all teams have either in the third to last or just about all teams have in the third to last or second to last week of the season. And then you have that whole week that they can scrub as necessary yeah. too. So if they need to, to, to try to get division games that have been bumped under the wire or something, you know, exactly. basically they're just trying to think, look, what can we do to preserve Ohio state's division record <laughs> and get them into some sort of, get them into the, some sort of hypothetical well, playoff. Well, here's the other interesting thing. Like, like there are, there are no, like, I'll say high marquee meaningful games that week either. So Ohio State has Iowa at home, which eh, maybe, you know, maybe Iowa's feisty. Indiana plays Purdue. Everything else, like like Northwestern Michigan is probably the third most interesting. Nebraska's got Michigan State. Minnesota plays Maryland. Illinois plays Penn State. Wisconsin plays Rutgers. I mean, most of these are oh, mismatches. Boy. And yeah. I think that's probably purposeful as well. Right. I, I No, I think you're right. I think that it's it's set up there it's 10 games on paper realistically I think right they're going to do everything they can to preserve the division games and and try to fashion something out of that and it, I mean it's sensible it makes sense um they they're going to do what they can the first week on the schedule is also all cross division um but those are the only like so week one and week twelve are one hundred percent cross division and everything else is not, which is interesting. Interesting, yeah. Which means which means they they yeah right that in theory that first week is on the chopping block as well. Like they're they're building in all the precautions that they can for sure. So just well and oh, what else is interesting is week ten and week eleven are a bunch of buys, and most uh, all but one of those games in both of those weeks are in, in division. The only one that's not is Illinois Rutgers. Yeah. So all of week 10 and week 11. So, yeah. So like any, any game that for the most part, they could, they could shift one week earlier or one week later, um, in the, in the West. And then they could shift one or two weeks later in the East and have, you know, no impact to, to other, other stuff. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's gonna be really interesting to see how this plays out. There's, there's. Um, I want to talk about Ohio State, um, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Penn State briefly, in terms of who got added to their slates. Yeah. Um, so Ohio State was uh, was gifted Purdue, which is really interesting given that that's the last Big Ten team they team Big Ten team they lost to. And it's in it's in uh, West Lafayette too. Yes, it is. Um, that's that's pretty fascinating. Uh, Penn State was was gifted, um, gift wrapped and delivered Illinois on the last week of the season. Uh, similarly, Wisconsin was gift wrapped uh, Rutgers on the last week of the season, and Michigan. Oh, oh! I might have this wrong. I was thinking Michigan was 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 given Purdue as the us. ad. They're they were not, giving yeah, us. They're giving they us giving as us. the ad. But the thing that stands out to me most about Michigan's schedule is they have to play Purdue week one. And I'm going on the record. I think they get boat raced. Like they like I don't think I don't think they're actually going to lose by thirty. But I think Purdue like 
absolutely blitzes them and they have no well, idea what's happening. Like that defense well, hasn't had any time to play together. Well, that's the thing too. We were talking about Purdue. Purdue getting added to Ohio State's schedule is hilarious because if you're trying to make legitimate arguments for teams actually being able to beat Ohio State, Purdue has to be one of the top three or four teams to make an argument because talent-wise, Ohio State's heads and tails above everybody else. With Purdue, you can talk yourself into some sort of 60-55 to 55 scenario <laughs> where there's no defense played, Purdue picks up a couple turnovers or something like that. I'm not saying it'll happen. I'm just saying Purdue is going to go in with the game plan, well, we're just going to give up 50 points in this game and still try to manufacture a win. I mean, it's it's certainly going to be amusing. The, the di- yeah, the, I think... The difference with Michigan is Michigan does not have the offensive horses oh. to, to do that, certainly not in week one, and they're they're like basically starting a brand-new defense from scratch. Yeah, I think, no, they're, they don't want to get Purdue week one. They're going to be able to run the ball on Purdue just fine. But Michigan's one of those teams that kind of likes to round into form, and Purdue is just going to come out like a rocket and be like, yeah, like you better round it to form in two seconds because we're scoring points. <laughs> so so that's the Big Ten. Um, you know, I, obviously there's there's a lot more to talk about uh, with, with the conference and kind of where, where we're going from there. But let's take a little look uh, around the country, um, just kind of see where everyone else is at. Uh, mentioned earlier uh, kind of what the SEC and ACC are planning. The Pac-12 is really interesting. There's a lot going on out West um, from, you know, real strict lockdowns in California to all of a sudden the, the players coming out and saying that they're going to walk unless certain demands are met. I mean, this is not, I, they're not forming a union, but this is as close as they can get. And they have leverage to do it too this year. Well, they, well, so they're, so here's the thing I think on this. Do they have leverage to not play? Absolutely. Do they have leverage to get long-term demands met? Absolutely. I kind of felt, though, with these lists of demands in this particular year, it reminded me of the Braveheart negotiation before the first battle, where I was like, (laughs) I was looking at this, and it was like, some of these things, it was all but your commander must present himself, put his head between his legs, and kiss his own arse. Like, the, I was looking at that, and my reaction was, I mean, first of all, like, are they right to be asking for all this stuff? Yeah. All college football players should have got all this stuff decades ago. Well, um, well, negotiation 101 tells you you should not start at your you know desired end point. Right. A- and, ask and, too much. Yeah, and the but the most likely scenario with the Pac-12 is that the Pac-12 is just not having a football season this year, and it's the the, the these demands. There's just it's unless there's some sort of negotiation and there's some sort of walking back, but. That's why the Pac-12 is taking out billion-dollar loans right now to try to support the the teams, um, and I think I just I I don't think the Pac-12 is going to have football. I don't think they can get out from under this. Um, and I mean, part of me you could you could argue that that's what the players want in the Pac-12 this year, and that if they don't believe it's safe and they don't believe they're being fairly compensated, that they're thinking from the ashes of this in a season. You know, a, a full season from now will emerge something that's more beneficial to us, and they may be right. Um, but I think in the short term, I just the Pac-12 is just that that kneecapped them in a situation where they were already just teetering. So, yeah. Well, we we've been talking about the emergence of player power, and we we, we hit it a few weeks ago. But um, you know what what the running back at Mississippi State did vis-a-vis the state changing their flag. Um, the changes that have happened at University of Texas and other places, you know, the, the social justice movement um, stepping up. And, and I, I think these demands coming from the Pac-12 players are much more about agency in the light of that social justice movement and in the realization through the lens of COVID that has, you know, really stripped away some of the, some of the, the, ability to see inequality and and the realities around the college model and how reliant it is on these players and on these football games to happen and the money that that flows off of that and that right totally i i don't think people like i definitely didn't realize i i knew football was important i did not realize it was that important yeah. well and i think 
Well, and I think this is this is a big thing too, and I think it's really important because with the Pac-12 stuff happening, we feel no, dear listeners, we hear you because we hear this from you. That we get so many people who are like, "Thanks for doing this. I don't think we're going to have a season, but thanks, thanks for what you're doing." Um, and here's the thing: I'm not saying that we're wrong. And Scuzz made the perfect thing that look, our eyes are wide open here and we are bringing you content with the knowledge that this could come in. With that said, I think you can look at some of this stuff and and like Sam said it perfectly, you know, if you never had eyes wide open to how big a deal this is, okay? um, Know that the Pac-12 right now is securing loans to cover billion dollar losses that they are going to have and this is something that that covers like the idea that this train ain't stopping people like this machine is woven into the fabric of america it is billions of dollars there are people who will do everything possible to make it happen and if your reaction to that is that's all ridiculous it's ridiculous because the players don't get nearly enough of the money they deserve to be getting. But understand, the money's not going away, and the thing itself is not going away. The whole idea is the players deserve to be compensated much more. But there is some hypothetical future off in, you know, somewhere off in the distance where all of these guys are making three hundred, four thousand, hundred thousand dollars a year to play football in a system where America is telling them, here's your $400,000. If you don't want this money, we will find someone else who will take this money. It is, wo- it is woven into the fabric of our country. The whole problem is these guys are not being fairly compensated for this. They don't have the rights. They don't have the long-term protection. They don't even have the leverage relative to, say, the NFL Players Union relative to negotiating how they're going to be treated. Um in a major disease outbreak. But I think you can look at some of the tea leaves and look at, you know, the the quote-unquote dominoes, right? A school like Howard, the most academically prestigious, arguably, um, historically black college or university in the country, canceled their football because they are about building tomorrow's leaders. And yes, I know all colleges are about that. But like, Howard is an incredibly academically prestigious university. Football is not where their priority is. The Ivy Leagues, same kind of thing. Also, they have billions and billions and billions of dollars of endowment. And they are not depending on the same kind of revenue that even, like, say, a Washington state in the Pac-12 is depending on. And then UConn canceling their season. Honestly, football is a losing value proposition for UConn year in and year out. It is they're in a bad place relative to that program. Um, I think early on we mentioned Scuzz right off the top. You mentioned UConn and you mentioned geography. Well, we have a school who shares rough geography with UConn, who also sucks at football. <laughs> And is in the middle of a major disease outbreak. But they are also part of one of the biggest football apparatuses in the world outside of the National Football League. And I think those John, John's, of John's things, talking about Rutgers, y'all, if you didn't yeah, pick up on yeah, that. Right. <laughs> um, and, they, and that's the thing, right? Is it's, it's, it's not that it's right. It's that it exists and the money is so colossally large that our eyes ought to be really open to it now. And that's not going away. It's, it is as inextricably linked to our society as the NFL is. In the case of the guys like the Pac-12, they should be because they're like, look at where our rights are in a situation where if we refuse to play, billions of dollars of loans have to be secured. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it, this is this is where we are right now. And the Pac-12 is going to probably have to eat massive colossal losses this year. And and from that, something new is going to emerge. But I mean, if anyone who is immediately looking at this and being like, we ain't having a college football season, folks, tens of billions of dollars are riding on this. If they can squeeze something out, they will squeeze something out. 
Yeah, I mean, I think like they're gonna try. They're certainly gonna try, and I and I would be, I would be stunned if there's zero college football in 2020. Um, I think the SEC is in in particular is pretty locked locked in on on trying to play. I think the Big 12 is in the same boat. Um, Kevin Warren, the the commissioner of the Big Ten, expressly said in the press conference yesterday. Just because we've released a schedule doesn't mean we're going to play. Um, I think the Big Ten is still looking and evaluating um, how they're going to make this happen, how they're going to make this work. And you know, it's interesting. There's 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 now a, a group of student athletes in the Big Ten. I think over a thousand uh, Big Ten. I, I I saw it listed as a thousand Big Ten football players, um, which would essentially mean all the Big Ten football players, if I've if I've got my math right. Um, have have come out as Big Ten United and have it's not the same as what's gone on in the Pac-12. Their focus is much more around um, consistent and um, effective approaches uh, and safety protocols, specifically to COVID. They've not asked for revenue. They've not asked for these other um, institutional changes. It's 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 really about the testing plans and the protocols and the quarantines, etc. But there's, I mean, it, like this all does feel a bit like a house of cards right now. And, and like I said earlier, as we're going through the schedule, I'd be shocked if we get. There's, there's no way in hell we're getting the schedule right. as written. The, I, right, I just, the big ten. I'd be shocked if we feel... get the volume of of games, and you know, even if they play three games and shut it down to the right. spring, or five games and shut it down to the spring, like that. I think that's the point you're making, John, is that they're going to make right. every, every is, effort to capture it, the, those TV dollars at least. It's, exactly. It's triage. Exactly. They're like, what can we keep? Yeah. Anything's better than nothing. Right. Totally. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely see. I mean, um, Big Ten in, in their release today said that teams can be, begin preseason practices on Friday. Uh, so, you know, we're, you know, as we record this on the 5th, one month away from scheduled beginning of Big Ten football. So, And we should, we should mention, too, that as of right now, right, Northwestern is still in kind of a, a holding pattern, right, because of positive tests. Well, I, um, I, think, I think that uh, everything was on hold until today. I did not see if, uh, if they were able to get back. Um, at, at least, you know, most, you know, the, the, whoever it was who tested positive is probably still, ha- I'm sure is still quarantining, but I, I don't know if the rest of the team was able to get back to practice or to workouts because it's not practice yet. Um, I, I didn't see that today. Did you guys? I, no, I did not. And that's, I guess, so I guess we're kind of, we're waiting on that. We, I just wanted to make sure everyone who's listening knows, like, yes, we are very aware that this has hit Evanston and that Northwestern is, you know, was having to deal with a pause. Um, and that Northwestern is one of the, I think, six teams that have had, I think no one's been hit the way that Rutgers has been hit, but several teams have had. And of course, well, there's the other thing that we should mention too, which was the Indiana offensive lineman who is back with his team now practicing. But had a, a is he really back rep- practicing? I, I, I didn't he see is. That. He's been cleared to return to team activities, which was fantastic. That's huge. Obvi- That's obviously huge. and fantastic just for this kid. But that was for me personally, and I think you know for you guys too. But for a lot of us, it crystallized something that um, was one of those things that that I I'll cop to that of all the things, so many things to think about. It hadn't really drummed into my head, which is. This is a sport where a ton of guys fit the clinical definition of obese. And a lot of the time, that's not even their own fault. But this is a sport that has a whole subsection of guys that are encouraged to carry as much weight as they can healthily carry at any given time. And that is a risk factor. And offensive linemen fall into that category. And it's just one of those things where it's like, it's it's not good. And I mean, it's it's the obviously the teams do everything they can within their own facilities to preserve a bubble and but obviously you know once you factor college in and off-campus parties and things like that I mean it's it's right I mean again triage it's going to be messy things are going to happen I think they will try to preserve everything that they can because again it's it's such a big thing they'll they'll keep what they can but yeah there it's going to be bumpy 
Yeah, that 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 weight thing you mentioned, John, really it really blows a hole in the side of the you know, college athletes are young and healthy and they should be fine argument that you're seeing from a lot of corners, which is flawed in so many other ways. But um, that Indiana story brought it home, I think, and made it, you know, brought, brought that risk to life in, in ways that uh, a lot of us hadn't, hadn't considered. So I'm really, really happy to hear that that kid is back uh, healthy and playing and practicing because um, basically the story is that, you know, he and a, a number of other athletes who had all been doing the right things, right, um, came you know uh had positive tests and with no other pre-existing factors he was really really struggling he got hit really really hard by the disease um so that's great that that he's bounced um i have something random to go back to the schedule on if you guys are up for that yeah Mm -hmm. and and i forgot to bring this up but this came up on twitter today so um northwestern's first or second and third game uh, occur during the time period that the university has already deemed to be the wildcat wellness time period. So basically from September 6th to September 20th, all students are who are coming to campus, whether they live off campus or, or on campus, if they're, if they're planning to, to attend school on campus, are supposed to be quarantining in those two weeks. Um, so I like... That's interesting. We'll see if that changes anything. I mean, it, it, it guarantees there will be no students at the Wisconsin game. Um, the Michigan State game is an away game. Presumably the football team would be exempt because they would have already quarantined prior to that. Um, Pre- presumably. I mean, but uh, that's well, like, ask, ask Rutgers how that goes. Yeah. So, I mean, like that, that's an interesting wrinkle in that the schedule has come out and immediately we're able to identify, you know, some local campus um, – things that it's going to be butting heads with from from day one i you know to john's point i think i I think everyone's going to figure out a way around that i like i don't think that's going to be a sticking point but it's an example of just like we're living day to day right now yeah absolutely yeah it's i uh still like i said earlier still a lot of questions um you know we don't have too many more answers but uh you know, we, we do have this new new news and a schedule to to go through. Um, anything else to talk about tonight, guys, before we get out of here? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify Brady Feeney, the Indiana offensive lineman we were talking uh, about earlier. He is back with the team. Um, he's not practicing with the team right now. There are kind of some issues. I think he may have had an EKG or something that there are other things that they're testing him about. He certainly had a really rough time with the virus and may not be out of the woods yet. We just wanted to clarify that a little bit. He's back with the team. He's not practicing with the team right now, um, but he is back with the team. Well, and, and that, that is, you know, good news that like, you know, you looked at that Facebook post by his, from his mom and yeah, that sounded real bad. And, and, it it is bad, but the fact that he's back at least with the team, even if he's not practicing, is definitely a, a positive right. sign. And again, it's it's the kind of thing where it should just be a wake up to everybody. He's six four, three hundred twenty five pounds, and you know that's a three hundred twenty five pound human being. And we get numb to football to guys being that big, but three hundred twenty five pounds on a human being is going to be a risk factor for anyone, even if they are a really in really good shape as an offensive lineman. So yeah, that was, that was our point. And, uh, but yes, absolutely. I'm glad that he's back. Hopefully he keeps getting better. Well, uh, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.